Tandem Nomads, episode 17. So you should never be afraid of spreading your wings higher or making your tent bigger because you have to be willing, I guess, to believe that other people have gifts. And when you put them all together, you've got an amazing hole and you don't need to sit and um, take care of your own little territory. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show for expat partners. Every new episode is launched twice a month on Tuesdays. You will find here great inspiration and tips to build your portable career and thrive with your family in your global nomadic life. Hello, Nomad Nation. This is Emel Dragi. Today's episode is all about how to build meaningful projects in our life. Because I believe that one of the main things about uh, building a portable business and a portable career is actually at the end of the day of leaving a legacy. I'm pretty sure that a lot of us here want to build meaningful and purposeful businesses or projects. I invite you today an amazing and special guest, Ruth Van Recken. Ruth, thank you so, so much for being here. And are you ready for the ride? I'm ready. I'm ready. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm very glad to have you here. So Nomad Nation, Ruth is an American citizen and was raised in Nigeria. She's the author of the book called Letters Never Sent. And she's the co-author of the famous book among global families called Third Culture Kids, Growing Up Among Worlds, a book designed to help TCKs, expat children, and their parents with personal development and identity issues that can rise from not belonging to one culture or one place. She's also the co-founder of the Families and Global Transitions Organization, a venture that started on a kitchen table and grew over the years with hundreds of members that connect across the world through its online platform and meet every year at the annual FIGT conference, an amazing conference to be part of. And I'll let you know about it a little bit more later. But I want to know more about you, Ruth, now, if you can tell us a little bit about your journey before we get a bit more in details and how you did manage to build, first of all, a book that meant so much to so many families around the world with your core author, uh, David Pollock, uh, that unfortunately left us, but uh, his spirit is with us and left That's an right. amazing uh, legacy with you. And the other uh, amazing project you've launched uh I think in 1998, if I remember well, FIGT. Uh, so we'll talk about this more in details, but can you give us a little more hint about how your personal journey and how, what, how did that lead you to that? Well, I guess it began before I was born. My father was born and raised as a third culture kid in Resht, Iran. And so uh, I grew up with a legacy already of international family living. Uh, when he came back to the States. He married my mother, who was born in Chicago, and they took off for Nigeria in 1944. But during the war, they didn't let people take children. So my mother left pregnant, and she had her first child in Portugal. And then I was born a year later in Nigeria, as were my following four siblings. So we had, before it was kind of normal, we had four people in my family, the first four, who were born on four continents. So I guess that's the roots of what I do, even though I didn't know it at the time. So I grew up in Nigeria. I had a wonderful childhood. I loved it. And then at 13, I went back, repatriated to the States or patriated to the States. I guess it was my first time really living there. 
it was probably one of the worst years of my life because I thought people liked me. I thought I fit. I thought I had friends. And suddenly I was the odd person out and I couldn't understand it, of course. And then my way of coping then was to say, I wouldn't tell anybody I'd ever been in Africa before then because I figured that may be too, too different. And I started high school and made a decision that Africa was gone. My parents went back to Nigeria and I lived and stayed with my grandmother and I had a wonderful time in high school. So I had this wonderful life. We went back to Liberia as adults, uh, my husband and I, and um, we were raising our children there. And then there were a lot of political issues there and he was teaching at the government medical school and they had closed, they closed the hospital. So we knew we were gonna come home for a while. So our daughter came home ahead of us so that she could start high school and not have to change. But that created a great crisis in my life that I was very surprised about because I had no idea why when my mind was saying everything was fine. I was having this enormous internal reaction. So I started doing some journaling that ultimately became Letters Never Sent. But I started to touch the losses of my life. And one thing we have to always remember is when you love something and you lose it, that's when you feel it. But I loved Nigeria, so I never knew until... I was drilling that when I left Nigeria, it was like a death. It was the death of my world. And so at 39, I suddenly realized what I had lost. And that created um, an enormous grief storm. I thought I'd never stop crying. But as I was doing that journaling, I made one commitment that I would not stop my tears this time. All my life, I'd stop my tears. So I thought if I touch those places um, where the tears are, I'm going to cry till they're done and keep writing. <laughs> wow, I'm going to start tearing up now. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for um that's a great summary and I realize, you know, when you talk about this uh, a little more how come it got to the TCK book and and, and FIGT uh, because in one person you've experienced being a TCK yourself. That's right. Being an expat partner actually, which mm-hmm. is the whole purpose of Tandem Nomads and um and being an expat, you know, parent, a, a third culture kid parent. Uh, so everything in one person. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I like the fact that you brought up this feeling of grief. I think it, it, we're starting to, to use this vocabulary, but I think it does make it easier to understand that difficult feeling sometimes and transitions yeah. um, that we do not understand why we have so much pain because it's a feeling of loss. And, and we do not only lose lose people and objects but we lose identities and absolutely uh and this is what what it is about right certainly when i was in eighth grade and went back to the states i lost my identity as sort of a competent capable person i suddenly turned into in my opinion an idiot you know i didn't know how to do anything i just kept making social mistakes and kept thinking what's the matter with me and of course i had no language to understand what had happened But I think it's really important for anybody living this life to understand the word paradox. Mm -hmm. We tend to live in an either or. Uh, Either it's all wonderful, so I can never do the grief, which was the way I did my life. Or there's some people who only look at the grief and the losses, and they forget there's this kind of wonder about it too. So there's this tension um, of living between the beauty and the wonder and then doing the grief work along the way so that we can enjoy the wonder and enjoy the gifts. 
And I think, you know, for me, I had struggled with this sort of silent depression for a long time that I, nobody else would see, but it was when the lights were out and I never knew it was grief until I was 39. Wow. So that's how it started. And wow. um, then any, I met Dave Pollock through it. Is there any aha moment or something specific that helped you realize that that was the cause of your depression or was it being followed up with professionals? Well, I no, I didn't have any professionals. This was all done okay. in Africa. Um, right. Just myself and my little pen. But I am a nurse uh, of long ago training. So I had gone to a grief seminar by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross during my nursing days when she was just beginning. So I didn't realize until afterwards that I put together some of her work in terms of the anger and the grief. And, you know, I used to always pray, don't help me not to be so angry because I could get mad quickly. And I look back and I think, again, not that everybody would see it, but in those silent places with the kids or something. And anger is a safer emotion than grief. Mm. And so I think, you know, when you think of the stages of grief, there's a lot of ways it comes out for us, not all in tears, but it can come out in the anger that flashes, it can come out in depression, it can come out in, um, oh, I took up social causes for everybody in the world except myself, because of course I was going to have justice and I could put that anger in, you know, a different way. But the, the way that I started then with Dave Pollack and the book, my mother sent me, in the middle of doing this journaling, I got this article my mother sent that she'd seen in some obscure magazine and talked about third culture kids. And I read that and I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never heard anybody even discuss this. And I also got a questionnaire for the first uh, conference that Dave Pollack was going to do on this topic in the Philippines. And it wanted to know, as a parent, it was asking me about my children's educational opportunities. So I filled out the questionnaire. I wrote him back and I said, I just want you to know I'm looking at your program. You're not doing anything for the adult. And I'm 39. Nobody ever had a re-entry seminar. I never heard about any of this when I was doing it. And now I'm 39. I'm trying to figure it out. So maybe if you're interested, I'll send you what I'm writing and it will help you for your conference because I was mad. Wow. And uh, so, of course, he said he was interested. And I hadn't planned to share the journaling with anybody, but that's how it got started. And I wound up at that conference and did my first little session on how, you know, my responses have been as an adult. And um, so that's how it began. And I met him and then we did a lot of collaboration and talking. And um, I said, one day you need to write this up, Dave, or you'll be quoting the people that are quoting you now. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't have time. And I said, well, I'll help you. I thought, how hard can it be? So seven years later, the book came out. Amazing, amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about this book? Because I I started hearing about it when I started this podcast and so many parents who are involved in the expatriate world knew about it. And and so I was wondering, and it was just amazing the passion they used to talk about. It It was like, oh my God, finally a place where we feel heard and listened and, and a place where we know we're not alone. But I would love to hear from your words. What do you think this book is providing to people to react so positively to it? I hope it's normalizing their experience. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I think for many of us, we thought we were crazy. You know, what's the matter with me? Like I said, parents wonder what's the matter with their kids. Kids wonder, you know, what's the matter with their parents? Maybe they don't understand. Because when parents are raising children overseas and they didn't do that themselves, 
it's a different experience. And so the parents don't have like a guideline from before and the kids don't know, you know, they didn't grow up the way the parents do. So sometimes the kids don't feel as connected to their parents' home country or whatever. This book, um, you know, it, it was your first legacy. You had two, I consider. I don't know if this is how you see it. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> I, you know, when you say that, I never thought about it that way, but maybe, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is why I wanted to reach out to you because you did leave an impact with so many people and you've, you've started with your co-founders, um, an amazing movement so, and, and, and an amazing tribe. So let's start with a book first. Is there anything you would like to share about you know, that journey and, and what was so important for you to make that happen? What did help you? I think what helped me was that I didn't know how difficult it would be, and I always think you can get there. Um, I tell people, I said, I'm a great cheerleader uh, because I'm sure we can reach the goal. Then I figure out there's other people that have to put the X's and O's and figure out how to do it. But I sit there and I think, well, somebody needs to do it, so let's get started. I should tell you, I should back up one thing. Um, a few years before that, I thought I had that feeling I'm supposed to write something. I don't know what. I just, that feeling, I need to write and share some things from my life or whatever. I didn't know I was a TCK yet at that time. I talked to a lady who had written a lot and I said, so how did you do it? And how did you do this? She looked at me and she said, well, you may never write a book, but she said, you write letters, write them well. She said, whenever you don't know how to do everything, ask what's the one next thing you can do and then do that and do it well. If you do that, you wind up at the next thing and the next thing. And she said, if you never write a book, then everybody that gets your letters will be encouraged. But if you write a book, that's okay too. But in the meantime, you haven't spent your life just waiting to do something. And so many people, she said, never do anything because they don't know how to do everything. And that's my story. Wow. I've never known how to do everything, but there's always one more thing I can do. I like the fact that you asked yourself also, uh, who is it for? I think that's also a very important question. Who needs this? And and you did mention the parents, the kids, but also the professionals. You wanted to encourage professionals to start studying this field that was completely right. ignored. And right. we know that the more professionals come in the field, uh, the more support we can bring to these people. And I guess that's a great transition with FIGT because I guess that was the second step after the book, right? Well, yes, because... I live in Indianapolis, and I had started doing traveling to other places around the world, doing some seminars. But right here in Indianapolis, we have all these people who are coming to our city. Um, right now, we have a lot of refugees, but the bottom line is the city was changing, and most of the people in the city um, had grown up here. International companies were coming here. So one of the companies, Eli Lilly, tried to help start an international school. So we had this sort of dichotomous world of the local people and international, and nobody seemed to figure out each other. And so at that time, I thought, well, with my friends who were all expat spouses of one sort or another, we said, we need to do something here if it's needed over sees it's right here but we need to do something could we what could we do and that was for the same reason that when we were talking to people and meeting each other one-on-one -on -one, everybody shared the same story but nobody knew there was a name nobody knew there was an overarching umbrella story there things like transition things like the profile 
So they're trying to figure out, I'm listening to them talk to me about their kids, all the problems they're having trying to adjust to school. The teachers don't understand them. And the psychologists don't understand them. So it was kind of simple. Well, maybe we could just have a seminar here or have a day something. We just need to start. For me, I believe that when people have information and awareness, they can make the choices or other people then can help develop more. Uh, I don't know how to do everything, but the one thing I do know is what the issues are. I think that's my point. And I thought, well, if we could have this conference where we mix up the people who are living it and the people who are trying to work with them, and they could start a conversation, then all these, we'd figure out where to go from there. I didn't know all the answers, but I thought we've got to start first by conversing. And so I'm thinking of the kids and I'm at the table saying, well, blah, 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 about the kids. And my friends look at me and they say, Ruth, you have to do something about the spouses as well. Because if mm-hmm. mom's not happy, ain't nobody happy. I said, oh, well, that's a good idea. So I think, again, the whole issue of collaboration, the issue of people bringing their gifts. I am the dreamer. Other people were the practical people. So how are you going to do it? I think, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. We're just going to do it. And they said, well, you've got to have like a logo. I thought, a logo? logo oh okay so we got a logo and I mean I don't know how we got a logo they said to get a logo and so it kind of you know went on and then one of the women her husband worked you know for one of these international companies and so he went and asked them if we could have um a room to do it and they said yes so I said okay then I called Dave Pollock I said would you come he said yes I said okay But I figured four housewives trying to put on a conference here didn't have much credibility. So I called uh, a group that works with internationals and I asked them and they said, oh, yes, they would do it. Well, I want to also say to your people, you can have huge disappointments. And I thought they were backing us and I thought we could use their name to get someplace because who were we? Seriously, we were making up a name uh, that nobody knew. And so... She called me one day and she said, we can't help you. I said, why? She said, I realize you're not going to make any money. I thought, well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) And um, at least at that point. And she said, so we have different purposes. And I was crushed. I was so crushed because I thought, how is this going to happen? And yet we had everything booked. We had, you know, everything was ready, except now we didn't have any backing. So we went ahead, and I was thinking about that when you asked me about this. I thought that was probably our biggest blessing because we weren't tied to an organization that had a pre-idea of what we should do. We were able to grow with this group of passionate people because the people who all came on board were people who also were frustrated because like when these spouses came, they said nobody helped us. And we could have used so much help. So it was a lot of passionate people who didn't know what they were doing, but we had a lot of passion Mm. and we had the gifts we had and we just started. Wow. This is, we could stop it here, basically. (laughs) That's it. Um, No, there's so much more question I would like to ask you, but I think what you're trying to tell us here is that at the end of the day, it's not about process and and technicalities, but it's, it's about just making it happen and having the right people, being with the right people, the like-minded people, as you like to usually say, um, and just have that passion that 
gets you through the disappointments and frustrations, right? And believing. I believed mm-hmm. it. I believed it was important. I believed it was life-changing. I don't like to do things just to do them. I'm too mm-hmm. lazy. I believe I want to do things that matter. I want to do things that make a difference. But I will talk about process because people like me need process. Exactly. So please, this is the whole point. Please tell us about what you have to say about process. I will tell you, people like me get over our heads. Okay. I'm a dreamer. I can see it. The night before it's happening, I'm suddenly realizing, oh my goodness, we don't have this. We don't have that. And, you know, I'm up all night trying to type out something that we should have had before. So some other people who were process people organizing got the dream. I think sometimes process people get stuck in the process and they need the dreamer. Mm. But then the dreamers need the process people because you cannot sustain if you don't have process. And so after our second conference, um, basically I thought, I have a baby who is up for adoption. And if this child is not adopted, she will die because there's no way I could take it anywhere beyond where we were in this little, you know. The baby is F-I-G-T, right? (laughs) Let's make it clear just in case. (laughs) That's a good thing to define. My baby was F-I-G-T because by now, even the people that I had been working with for different reasons couldn't continue. So I'm sitting here and I think, I've got this wonderful thing. I believe in it. We've had wonderful two first conferences, but I don't know what to do with it. So I did say at the conference, we're going to have a committee. Anybody who wants to work on this can come. And so Beverly Roman joined us, and she was somebody who had started her own publishing before. And so she came on the committee, and she um, called me like two weeks after the conference. Well, when are we going to start planning for the next one? I thought, but it's a year away. <laughs> I just like, we don't do things a year away. And she was wonderful. And then uh, Joyce Blake also was somebody who had just come back from overseas, was interested, and she was wonderfully organized. And so these people, in their own gentle way, began to say, Ruth, do you think we need, do you think we need this? And then in the middle of all that, I wound up with getting cancer, which was interesting, because then they had to take over. And so that was probably one of the best things that happened for FIGT, was that even they had to say, okay, you can't do it. Because I was saying, I can't do it. And they were saying, oh, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, you need to take it. Mm -hmm. And so they made it, you know, an official organization. They made all these things. And it's just been, I just go and I laugh. And I think, I just can't believe what they've made of it. So these are the first principles. Mm -hmm. When you don't know how to do it, do the next thing you can. Dream big and keep your dream. But the second thing is find the right people and don't be afraid to let other people help you and even in the end take it over because I could never, ever have made FIGT what it is. It never. I don't know how to do the technical stuff. I don't know how to do the organizational stuff, but I'm a great cheerleader. <laughs> so I go every conference just to cheer what they're doing and I have a wonderful time. And I just love the thing that I love. It got so much bigger than I could have dreamed. Wow. We did dream. We laughed. We said, have conference, we'll travel. Maybe one day we'll go around the world. But that was just kind of, you know. But in my heart, I knew it could happen that way, but I didn't know how. But what what it's done, it's given this place that was autonomous because we weren't associated with anybody else, even though I was so disappointed at the beginning. For people who 
also dream and see the issues to come and share and share with each other. And I just am so amazed at how it energizes other people to try their dreams and all the things that have happened because people got together and they dreamed and they found out there were other people who cared. And in the meantime, some of the more organizational places like the employee relocation people who have more official structures, they have a place too, but they weren't doing the emotional part. They weren't thinking about what happens to the people as much as how do we get them physically. And, and that's an important thing to do too. So I think FIGT has filled a niche. And because the other thing is, it's not officially academic. Now we have a great researcher network now because Ann Copeland added that. And nobody was even validating that there should be research in this community. The people who tried to get, it started in research with Ruth Hussein, but it kind of died. And many people who tried to get their PhD work, their universities wouldn't even allow it because they thought, who cares? There's not that many people. So I think it served a wonderful, unexpected uh, role in the world to gather people who see the issues, but they don't know where to coalesce and share them. And then there's this incredible dynamic. And of course, then with Judy Rickson and all these people who can do the technical stuff and use all of that to connect people. I just sit there and I think, I just laugh. I think this is beautiful. That's amazing. So tell me honestly, was it hard to see the baby taken over? No. Not at all. You never had issues thinking, oh, am I no, going to that's, lose? No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. It wasn't at the time because I, I was in chemo. I was in, uh, I didn't have any hair. I had, you know, it was, I was tired and I uh, thought, no, it, it, if I don't live anyway, you know, so whatever. A few years later, I think when they were trying to figure out their purpose, there was kind of going through a time where it seemed like some people were wanting to make it more of a, um, a professional thing in the sense of uh, a way people could come and gather, maybe turn it more into a professional organization for certain industries or something. And that's when I thought we might die. And I that, but I think that was a good time for everybody to think about what is FIGT about. And um, and I, I mean, I, I thought, well, if it dies, it dies. But I think that was a good place of restructuring and saying, no, what's unique about this, it's the idea place. Mm-hmm. This isn't the place where if we can give the ideas out, then each industry can take the ideas and apply it for their industry. Mm-hmm. If you can help people who are therapists to understand the issues, then the therapist can have a discussion. What do we do about it? They know what to do. I don't know what you do, but I know this is the issue. The teachers can look at it. And now there's a whole teaching module for uh, the European Council of International Schools on being a teacher for. Mm-hmm. But I can see that for you, the, the, the purpose was so important. The purpose that, was important. And the fact that it had to be in an NGO. You did not want it to be like a, at some point, a company. I wanted it. I guess from the beginning, I wanted to be a catalyst. I wanted it to be something that people came and they had their ahas. The people who worked with the global families and the global families could have an ear and everybody could have a conversation and say, okay, this is real. People aren't just making this up. The people in my company who are struggling are not crazy. 
they do have real issues. And I think we've come huge ways down the pike. If you think about 20 years ago, it's hard to imagine that transition and re-entry weren't big topics. But at the first conference, the only book out wasn't even TCK book yet. It was my book. And there was a girl who wrote American Abroad, I think. And those were the only two books. The second conference, we had the TCK book, Letters Never Sent, my first book, The Journaling. And um, maybe two other books. Well, now the bookstore is filled. We could have millions, you know, not millions, but uh, the blogs are so many. You know, it's become an in topic. I still want to know a little bit about your secret in being able to gather so many people. I guess... I guess the beginning is that the cause just resonates with so many people that, that they feel like they want to do something about it. But what did you have to work on proactively to be able to have so many people around you helping, providing, uh, giving their free time for yes, making this yes. happening? Uh, that little free time, by the way, I'm pretty sure. Yes, so yes. What, what did it take you to be able to make this team and this amazing community of really active volunteers until today. Yeah, it's amazing because they really take time now. I think one of the most important things was, as you said before, getting like-minded people, people who cared about the topic. So you start with people who share your vision. But then when I think about my audience that was coming, how are the people going to get to know each other? If my vision was, if they all talk together, then they be able to understand some of the story. Well, how are we going to get them to talk? So we, for the very first one, I couldn't imagine that they'd just come to seminar and go home. I thought that's not going to do anything because it was a one-day seminar at this company. So I invited people to my home the night before, and we had an open house. We had, I don't know, lots of people come, maybe 50, 60, and invited Dave Pollock so they could know him. And then he did a little kind of um, teaser for the day. And so I think before we ever met in the morning, we already had some names, I believe in name tags. The next year, when we were going to do our first time at a hotel, one thing I can't stand is going to a place when I don't know anybody. And then I sit there with shrimp on my plate and trying to find somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. So for that opener the night before, we put people at tables and we just said, tell each other why you want to come. So I guess from the beginning, if we're talking about people talking to each other, you have to make a way for them to talk. I've always believed as best we can to have most of the people stay in the same hotel so that the after the session conferences, that's probably where most of it works. But then the other thing was, from the beginning, this was not about self-promotion. We try to make that clear to every presenter. We're talking about a topic. We have lots of different sectors. We have different kinds of people, but this is not about promoting your own topic or promoting yourself. You can talk about what you do in the sense of reference, but this is not about that because I believe very strongly. Mm. Let me just highlight this part yeah. because I think it's a very good point. What you're trying to say, if I, if I rephrase it, is that you did have people who tried to take advantage of it as a platform to promote themselves right. professionally. Right. right. So I'm really interested to know how you deal with that, because that's one of the biggest issues right now. I know talking to so many tribe leaders, mm -hmm. um, how did you deal with that? Well, we made that clear and when we invited people and we said, you're not allowed to advertise. You can put your 
website on the bottom, but I think we all had a belief that that would take care of itself. And I think that's what we've seen. If you get together and you have conversation, people will find out who you are and these natural connections will happen. And the things that have happened out of FIGT are pretty remarkable in terms of what people have gone on to do. But that was one of our stipulations. This is about community. This is about what we share. This is not about self. And so we want you to come and share your wisdom. Now, the other thing that really helped us was Barbara Shetty came along with her wisdom. And she said, we need to send out requests for proposals. So there's a lot of people out there who know a lot more than we know. And if we let them write and tell us what they'd like to share, that we could do that. So then when we started to get those requests, um, we accepted people by their ideas, not by their pedigree. Mm-hmm. Because we also believe there were a lot of people who had so much to share, but because this topic was kind of invisible, they never got to share it because they weren't ever invited to the normal platforms. We have just got the most incredible group of people and the most incredible group of topics because it keeps getting bigger. So you should never be afraid of spreading your wings higher or making your tent bigger because the other thing, you know, when I would think, well, is somebody going to take away my position or something like that? You know, what if they write more and then they take away the TCK book? There's so much to write about. Every person in this world has their own unique perspective. And the more we, in a sense, are free to give away, the more we receive. And then the, everything gets bigger. And there's more than enough room in this tent no. for everybody. Uh, what you're doing, I could never do. I couldn't tell people how to start it. I just go out and do it. But now you ask me, I think, well, I, well how did I do it? So that's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's just, I don't know. It's just that you have to, you have to be willing, I guess, to believe that other people have gifts. And when you put them all together, you've got an amazing whole. And you don't need to sit and um, take care of your own little territory. Wow. Oh my God. We can really end this here because it's so powerful what you just said. It's your job to go and be what you want other people to be. And if I want that conference to be a place where people are friendly to each other and listen to each other and hear each other's stories, then, well, it's not hard for me because I really, really, really like to do that. But I need to do that. I need to make sure I'm not sitting with the five friends that I came with. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure I'm circulating. I need to make sure I'm saying hello. I look for the person who's in the corner by themselves. And I want to go and say, hi, do you know anybody here? Did you come? Come to my table. And to be, it is my um, passion when I'm there, that people yeah. come will be welcome. And, you know, I, I would like to add that, especially to the Nomad Nation who are listening here. Uh, there's so many professionals and, and, and people who question how do you transmit a culture, you know, to a whole organization or a community. And listening to you, it makes me realize that by, like you said, embracing it yourself, embracing your mission statement, your values, and just leading by example does actually naturally um, spread that culture and their vision to the to the members so it's not so much technical how to spread a culture but it's it's really deep inside and emotional and it's about believing in it and just doing it and 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 i think this is where you have succeeded the most by 
by spreading your values and well i appreciate that because i always think come on everybody let's go <laughs> i i feel very 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 strongly about making people be welcome because i believe very strongly that everybody has something to give yeah so and as they come and join we get stronger as a group they get stronger as people and we have a lot of fun we do There's so many interesting people i just think this is amazing all the interesting people there are in this world it's fantastic. today um it's it's amazing i want to touch on one more thing before we say goodbye that you mentioned many times and i did not yet stress on it because you had other things also very interesting it was the resistance sometimes you had for example with your letters at the beginning with tck and then with fagt resistance of people and reactions are part of the journey of a tribe yeah. leader. So I want, to, I want to know a little bit, how did you deal with those different feedbacks of people sometimes telling you you're causing problems here? I cried a lot. Wow. I, um, I really, I thought I'm not trying to make a problem because I thought it was so positive to say there was paradox and that, you know, you could deal with that. But then I also had to realize at some point, this was the story of my life, that if you have it so good, what's your problem? And so then I had to go back, what's the truth? And the truth is, it's both. So, I mean, I would have to do a lot of that. But there were also people, of course, who encouraged me. But I think there was something that just was so sure. And I didn't know the way. But each time, um, somehow... You know, I do believe there's even more than just us as individuals. And there would be just that one last little place to go. One last, um, you know, every publisher turned down letters originally. They said, there's not that many people who care. It's not a big story. Well, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the money to go publish in those days. It was very expensive. But somebody invited me to a radio interview and a, friend my husband's heard it and he was a printer and he said i'll print your book if you want i won't charge you unless you you know if you sell it you can pay well i thought okay so we sold it we did a thousand and i went to the second um international conference in ecuador on this and i took 160 copies and that had just come off from him. And so by two o'clock that afternoon I had a plenary in the morning. And the first time I talked about the paradox. And also 160 were sold, but then they went around the world because all these people went around the world. So I mean there's a certain place that's more than you. You can't mm -hmm. you But know. before you started having signals of support, what did you make not give up when you started being attacked for certain positions? I, I, took? I concentrated on the people who wrote me back positively. In other words, these books went back. They went around the world. I started to get letters from all these people saying I thought I was the only one. And then I started to get the pushback. And then I thought, oh, dear. But these other people were still there. And I thought, I'm going to concentrate on what we can do. I can't fix everybody else. And in some ways, some of that took me um, – to different places, but I, I still focused on, well, these people, maybe those people think I'm crazy, but these people are writing me saying that they're the only ones. They thought they were the only ones and we're having a great conversation. And so that was part of also the organizational part of, couldn't we have a bigger conversation if we're 
all but one by one by one, how do we start to converse uh, mutually and together mm-hmm. and things like that? So Amazing. Norma McCaig, I should say, she had the first Global Nomad Conference in 1988, and that was for adult TCKs. And I think that certainly validated. the book. My book had come out uh, two years before. And certainly when I went there, I thought, well, there might be a lot of people objecting, but there's an awful lot of people who are saying it's helpful. So I think concentrate, again, sorry, concentrate on the people who can share your vision and who are positive, and, but don't fight with the other ones. Don't just, I had to understand they didn't understand. And they never understood. That's okay, because maybe it wasn't their story, but there were enough people, it was their story, who understood that we kept going. You have to believe that in your cause, basically, and and, yes, and, and build resilience to that. Wow. So many, so many great tips. Thank you so much, Ruth, for taking that time to, to share your experience with us. I'm sure it's going to inspire a lot of people. Um, thank you. I love what you're doing. That's, you know, it's great. <laughs> thank you so no, much. So, Nomad Nation, if you want to find the books and more information on Ruth and all the amazing insights she shared with us today. And I'm going to put that in the show note page, the webpage of this episode. Go there. Okay. So uh, thank you so much, Ruth. Again, uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with you and I hope no nation you loved listening to her great inspiration and tell us where can we find you? I think you have a website, right? I do. www.crossculturalkid.org because my next mission is to see how what we've learned with third culture kids can apply in a globalizing world to many more kids. So that's kind of my next um, vision. Oh, I can't wait. So Nomad Nation, don't hesitate to check Ruth's website. And also, I want to let you know that this episode is aired on a very special week. This week, we will all be together in The Hague uh, at the FIGT conference. So to have more information on this conference, it might be too late this year, but to join us next year, go to FIGT.org and sign up for the newsletter so that you can have more information on all the great things that FIGT offers to global nomads like us. I love that place and it just feels like home. And when Ruth says that she welcomes everybody, it's really true. This is the spirit and it's a great family. So don't hesitate to join us on FIGT.org. So just wanted to, as a last word, thank you again, Ruth, uh, from the bottom of my heart. That was so great to be able to chat with you, really. Thank you, Mel. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next month. Yeah. Meet you in the hay. Nomad Nation, I hope that you enjoyed the great insights of our guest today. If you did, please make sure to share it with your friends. See you at the next episode and stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities.